Matthew chapter 5. Again, we're focusing in here on verse 8, but we're reading this whole section uh, together because it is describing really one thing. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 2, it says, Blessed, or verse 2 says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. It is so precious to us. Lord, without your word, we would be in darkness. But your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. God, we live in a world today that has many words, many competing thoughts and ideas. We live in a world that is full of humanistic philosophies about life, about origins, about purpose. But your word pierces that darkness with utter clarity, dispelling the darkness, presenting to us a clear picture about who you are and about who we are and our great need to be reconciled to you. Lord, I thank you that we are a blessed people today. Your word here teaches us about all of the blessings that we have of being your people. I pray that you would help us to see what it is you want us to see today hear the words you want us to hear today, that you would speak to us and that you would speak in our hearts, that your word would be communicated to us. Lord, we are your people. We've gathered here today to meet with you, to worship you, to exalt you, and to hear your word. Lord, that your word would speak to us today, that you would help us, Lord, to be your people, to live as your people, as you have sovereignly declared and predetermined the times and the places and the seasons in which we would live, Lord, that we would be faithful to you in this time and season that you've placed us in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This 
section, this beatitudes, this blessing that the Lord pronounces, we've talked about over several weeks that he's describing not many different kinds of people or or many different people, but he's describing one kind of person. He's describing the the born-again person. He's describing those that have encountered grace, received Christ in faith, have, have been moved upon by the Spirit of God, have been born again into the kingdom of God, that this isn't describing eight different kinds of people and that some Christians are peacemakers and, and some are merciful and others mourn and some have, uh, are poor in spirit, but, but no, in fact, that Jesus is describing in many different ways one single kind of person. And so that all of us who have faith in Christ, we should endeavor to see this character, the character of Christ produced in us each individually. And we've walked through and we've seen how there's a progression here that really the Christian life, it starts with this poverty of spirit, recognizing before holy God our great need, our great poverty in and of ourselves, that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that we recognize we need a Savior, we need someone who can reconcile us to God to be poor in spirit, and that to such belong the kingdom of heaven. How many of you are glad that you're part of that kingdom today? The kingdom of heaven? The Bible says that that kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That the kingdoms of this world are being shaken, will be shaken, but the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ will never be shaken. It is a kingdom that will never fade away, will never pass away. That Jesus came from heaven to earth, bringing the kingdom of God, establishing the kingdom of God. And though empires have risen and fallen over the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of Christ stands today. Amen? That today Rome lies in ashes, but the kingdom of Christ stands today. Because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Amen. We are part of that kingdom. You are part of that kingdom if you have been poor in spirit. If you recognize before a holy God your great spiritual need and trust in Christ alone to meet that need. I preached that message several weeks ago. But it leads us into a a, a mourning and and, and, an onward a a, a continual, if you will, brokenness in our lives over sin. Sin is simply breaking the law of God, and we've all broken God's law. We've all transgressed God's law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And this is not just something that was in our past. Unfortunately, even as Christians, we continue to fall short. Whereas before, when we were in the world... Before Christ, we we could sin all day and and never feel anything about it. It it flowed out of our nature. But but now when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when when we transgress God's law, there's a brokenness of of not condemnation, but of conviction of the Holy Spirit. This onward mourning over sin and that we come to the cross and 
We, we come again to, 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 to the Lord Jesus confessing our sins, realizing that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. I'm not going to walk through all of these this morning, otherwise we'll never get out of here. But we're zeroing in here today on this verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. With each one of these that we've looked at, I've contrasted the born-again man or woman with with those who are still in their sins, with with those who still are without Christ, with with the world, if you will. And I've I've been describing to you that this is describing that born-again man and woman, and I want to highlight that for you here this morning. Does the world want to see God? No. Does the world want anything to do with God? No. We see this when our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve. They sinned in the garden. And what did they do? Did they go running to God? No, in fact, they hid from God. The sinner does not seek God, does not want God. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, that there are none who seek after God in their sinful condition. That truly it is God who must come and seek after us. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. If you are in Christ today, it's not because you found him. It's because he found you. He has saved you. To illustrate this point, I want to flip over to Matthew, uh, not Matthew, John chapter 3 this morning, just so ever quickly. We're all familiar, of course, with John 3.16, the, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, and rightfully so, it's the gospel in a potent form. But Jesus keeps speaking after John 3.16, and I want you to look at verse 19. Jesus says that the world outside of Christ, outside of a reconciling relationship with God through Christ, that the world stands in judgment because of sin. Verse 19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. Let me just say, if if you have a conception of God where he judges no one and judges nothing, you you have a false view of God. If you have a concept of God that is all love and no justice, in fact, you you don't, if that is the case, you, you don't even have a God of love at that point. We serve a God of Justice, of, of righteousness. And if you don't serve a God who would ever judge anyone for anything, you, you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand Christ on the cross, you don't understand his substitutionary death. You, in fact, don't understand God at all. In fact, you have an idol that you've made. 
Not of, the, not of God, but of your representation of yourself. You've made God in your own image when instead we are to be conformed to the image of God. This is what Jesus says, the most loving person who's ever lived. Jesus, who is love in the flesh. He says, this is the judgment, that the world stands in judgment. And that light has come into the world. Who is the light that came into the world? Well, the Lord Jesus is the light that came into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For whoever does what is wicked hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Jesus says, I have come into the world. I am the light of the world. The world has rejected me. Sinful humanity has rejected me, has chosen not to come into the light, not to to come and see me, but instead reject me because its works are evil. The sinner in his sin is running from God. Though the heavens, the Bible says, declare the glory of God. That Paul says in Romans 1 that unrighteous men, what do they do? They suppress that truth about God in their hearts. So that even today in our country, 30% of people identify as religious nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. These are people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostic, or nothing in particular. They don't believe, they say there is no God, I don't believe in God. So the world doesn't want to see God, the world doesn't want to experience God. The world wants nothing to do with God. So Jesus here again is describing someone, if you have the desire to to see God, to be in fellowship with God, to be in relationship with God, it means that the Lord has worked in your heart by the power of his spirit. So here Jesus says, blessed, back to Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. What is the heart? If we want to see God, we must be pure in heart. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of who you are. It's the utter essence of the individual. He's not talking about those who have a, you know, a functioning physical organ, that your you know, cardiovascular health is at 100%. The, the heart is the seat of the person, the center of the human being. The will, the the mind, the soul, the emotions, the core of who you are, it is your essence. We are not just bags of meat. We are not just sacks of flesh. We, We all have a spiritual component to us. The Bible says that God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and that he was there physically, but he was not alive until God breathed into him his life. And Adam became a living being, a living soul. That all of us here today have in us the breath of God. We are eternal souls and spirits. We will spend eternity in one place. 
One of two places. There are not many different options and destinations. We will be forever in the kingdom of Christ and worshiping him and in eternity with him or we will be in hell under judgment. And it is only the pure in heart who will see God. So it is the core of who you are. It is the soul. And the Christian faith, uh, 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 contrary to popular belief, the Christian faith is much more concerned with your heart than your external actions. The state and condition of your heart is what is important. So many people think that Christianity is about the things that we do. Think that Christianity is a, a list of morals of do this and don't do that. But fundamentally, Christianity is about the heart. The condition of the heart, the condition of your soul. You see, every other religious system says that you can see God, you can work your way up to God by your own good deeds, by your own righteousness and effort. That through your own righteousness, through your own good works, you can make yourself pure before God and acceptable to God. But Christianity, the gospel, is the exact opposite. Christianity starts with the bad news that is you are so utterly sinful, there is nothing you could ever do to improve your state before righteous and holy God. Christianity says that you must have a a heart transplant, a heart transfer, that you, you must receive a new heart, a pure heart. It's concerned with the internal. And then once that heart change has taken place, well, of course, out of that, a new heart comes new desires. A new heart comes new action. A new heart comes new thoughts. A new heart comes a new way of living. But so many people think that Christianity is just like every other religion, teaching that we earn our salvation through our good works. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus in Matthew 15, if you want to flip over there with me, Matthew 15... He draws this out continuously through his teaching, this issue of the heart. Jesus here is in conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, those who claim to understand God, those who claim to teach the the word of God. In verse 8, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So so there's an outward expression of, of religiosity that the Pharisees and the scribes had. They they outwardly would would engage in acts of worship, quote unquote, so that they would honor God with their lips. But their hearts are far from him, Jesus says. And because of this, he says in verse 9, in vain do they worship me. That their, their acts of worship are in vain because their hearts are not directed towards God. That you can do all of this churchy stuff, 
You can come here on Sunday. You can sing the songs. You can take the communion. And your heart not be in it at all. Just be going through the motions. Jesus says that kind of worship is in vain. And then there's some more conflict that happens. And then skip down to verse 18. Again, the Pharisees were only concerned about the external. Jesus here is dealing with the heart. Verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus is, is highlighting the, the, the folly of thinking that you can cleanse yourself before God, that you could make yourself pure before God by dealing with the external person. He says, out of the heart, the sinful heart of man come all of these things. So when we see these things in our world today, it should help us understand that what they need is a new heart. And there's only one way to get that. There's only one way to receive this new heart, a pure heart. You see, the, the world would say that man is simply a product of his environment. Have you ever heard that? That's because the world views man simply as an animal. An animal. We're, we're just animals. So put the animal in the different environment and you'll get a different result. The problem is we're not animals. We're image bearers of God. And saying that, that our sin is a product of external issues, not the internal heart, it removes the responsibility from the human being and from the individual and it puts it out there in the world somewhere or on the community somewhere or, you know, in systemic injustice, all of that. And Jesus says the problem's not out there, the problem's right here. And our problem is so deep that we choose to say the problem's out there instead of dealing with the issue. That, that even saying the problems out there flows out of a heart that is sinful, that is refusing to take responsibility for its sinful actions. And so we live in a world that wants to shift the blame for sin and put it out there in you know, the government or society or the culture. And Jesus says, it's, look in the mirror, it's right in here. Let us not forget that the fall of mankind happened in the perfect environment. You, you could not set up a more perfect scenario than the Garden of Eden. And that's where man fell. So, so let us not fool ourselves into thinking if we only could educate people enough, if we could only 
you know, redistribute wealth enough, if we could only, you know, take care of all of these external problems, then we would usher in utopia. Then we would usher in heaven on earth. No, I'm sorry. Because you can give man all of those things, but if the heart is sinful, all of this brokenness is still going to manifest itself. The prophet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. This is the verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the founder of our church, Leonard Coote, was saved when he read this verse. He was so convicted of his sin. Previously, he had been an atheist, an agnostic, an antagonist against Christ and his church until he was tricked into reading the Bible by a Baptist missionary. And he read from Genesis all the way to Jeremiah 17, and he read verse 9 and 10. And he was, as Isaiah said, I am undone. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The great problem is that we are sinful. We are born in sin, descended from Adam, the first sinner. We are sinners by choice. We've all chosen to sin. We've all chosen to break God's law. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. So the great problem is that the pure in heart are those who will see God, but our hearts are not pure. In our natural state, left up to ourselves, our hearts are sinful. And out of our hearts flow impurity, flow sinfulness, flow evil thoughts. All of the things that Jesus described there, those don't come from the outside, those come from the inside. Left up to ourselves, we are not pure in heart, we are impure. And because of our impurity, we can't even know ourselves. The heart of man is, is desperately sick and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can understand it? We, we are not just sinful in our hearts, we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves about how good we are. We, we look around and we say, well, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not like them. It's self-deception. Because we should not be comparing ourselves to anyone else. We should recognize that we will one day stand before God who is holy. And we will not stand with everyone else. We will stand alone on that day. So our hearts and our natural states are impure. So if we want to see God, if we want to have a relationship with God, our hearts must be purified. But how can we have pure hearts? Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How must I purify my heart? 
What's interesting here is that in, in this uh, passage, that the word here that Jesus uses for purity, there's, there's three words in the Greek language that deal with pure or purity. Some have to deal with them being like holy or, or set apart the, the way that God is holy. But the word Jesus used here is the Greek word katharos, which is where we get our English word catharsis. What Jesus is talking about, this purity, purity of heart, just as catharsis it talks about a radical purging or cleansing, that's what Jesus is talking about, the type of hearts that will see God. Not the type of hearts that are pure in and of themselves, because none of us have that, but the types of hearts that have undergone a radical purging and purification of sin. He uses a word that specifically describes something that has been purified. That in the past was defiled, but now is pure. Well, how do we receive a pure heart like that? Well, it's by looking to Christ. It's by receiving, as Paul says, a righteousness that is not my own, but a righteousness that depends upon faith. The great news of the gospel is though we are sinful, though we are impure, though we are separated from God, that God so loved the world. That because of God's great love for us, he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. For our sin. And that he who knew no sin, Jesus never once breaking the law of God, Jesus never once transgressing God's righteous and moral standard, Jesus who kept God's law perfectly goes to the cross and God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that Christ's purity is applied to my heart. That my heart can be cleansed, can be washed clean. This is why David, after he sinned, his great sin with Bathsheba, what did he pray? Psalm 51, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then he goes on to say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. A pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. G give me a resolve, Lord, against sin. That we can, like David, pray in faith, looking to Christ and his work on the cross, calling out to him for salvation and praying, God, create in me a clean heart. And John, the, 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 the apostle writing in his epistle of 1 John, says that when we do that, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to wash us clean, to purify our hearts. That we can undergo a radical transformation, a radical cleansing, a radical purging, a catharos, 
The pure in heart are not those who are pure in and of themselves, which none of us are, but those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ in the core of their being, in all their being. And so Christianity is not about the external, it is about the internal lived out. It's from the inside out that we are changed. Jesus had these words to say about the Pharisees. If you'll go over to Matthew 23 with me quickly. Matthew chapter 23. What a, what a passage Matthew 23 is. I mean, it's incredible. But let, let's look at verse 25. Jesus here is in a process of pronouncing woes. That's judgment on the Pharisees. Verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. He says, you're only concerned about this external, but on the inside it's still impure, on the inside it's still not towards God. How many of you, when you go to a restaurant, you, you not only want the outside of your cup clean, you, you want the inside to have been washed too? Right? When you get a bowl of soup, you, you don't just want them to have cleaned the outside, but whatever soup was in there from the customer before, you want that gone. If the Pharisees were on kitchen duty, they would only be washing the outside. But the work of Christ starts on the inside where he purifies our hearts and he transforms our souls. He washes our hearts clean, sprinkling them in his blood. And that flows out then to a righteous life. If you thought that example was bad, it gets worse in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus says that the height of hypocrisy is presenting to everyone a clean exterior to mask the unclean interior that's going on. This is what the Pharisees did. This is not Christianity. Christianity is not fooling everyone to make everyone think that you're righteous. No, Christianity says we all know who we are. We all know that without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, we are sinful. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We all know where we came from. 
And we all know who we would be without Christ. So that the Apostle Paul then says, I will boast in nothing except in the cross of Jesus Christ. We have nothing to boast in. Any righteousness that is in my life, any holiness that is in my life, any sanctification in my life is not me, but Christ who has worked in me so that I cannot look at anyone and look down upon them because we're all on the same level playing field. But the hypocrites want to, to, to puff themselves up and, and to make themselves appear to be on some side, sort of higher plane of spirituality and to glory not in a righteousness not their own, but to glory in their own righteousness. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That is a false representation. And it was already happening here in Jesus' day. We need a righteousness that is not our own. Not one that comes from the law, but one through faith in Christ. As Paul says, the righteousness that depends on faith. And for those who have put their faith in Christ, who have trusted in his work on the cross of atonement, who have trusted in his words that he declared, it is finished, paid in full, who have trusted in his glorious resurrection from the dead, in which he rose victorious over sin, those who have trusted in him, we have received his righteousness. We are righteous today. We are holy today, not because of our own good works, effort, deeds, but because of his work for us. And now that our hearts have been purified, this blessing that Jesus says, we can take it to the bank. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are two fulfillments to this. There is a present fulfillment to seeing God and a future fulfillment to seeing God. For the present fulfillment that we can live in today, Jesus in John 14, he told his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Seeing God starts with a right vision of Jesus. With a clear vision of Jesus. With who he is. And this vision of Christ, this vision of, of him as the son of God, as the savior of the world, as God in the flesh. This, this, this vision, this belief in Christ, this is something that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to. That he gives us eyes to see Jesus for who he is. If you have believed upon Christ today, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to this reality. Amen. It's not because you're better or because you're smarter than everybody else. It's unmerited favor. It's by grace that you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. That he has opened our eyes to see the, the beauties of Christ. 
and to trust upon Him. This is the first way that we begin to see God is that we rightly see Christ for who He is. We see Jesus in a different light than the unbeliever. We see Jesus for who He truly is. Do you see Jesus for who He is? Do you see Him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Do you see Him as the one who bore your sins to reconcile you to God? Do you see Him as the risen Savior and Lord and the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you see Jesus? When you look at the cross, what do you see? When you look at Jesus, what do you see? Do you see foolishness? Is it a stumbling block to you or do you see the power of God unto salvation? In our lives right now, secondly, under the present reality, after seeing Jesus for who he is, we see God in that we see him moving in our lives now. We see him working in our lives now. Don't you see him? Don't you see him working? Don't you see him in, in your sanctification working on you? Don't you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? That's the Lord working. If you feel conviction in your life over sin, that's a way that we see God working in our lives. Amen? Not always pleasant, sometimes painful, but we see him working in us. Don't we see the Lord working through answered prayer? Amen? Through answered prayer? We see him in nature, don't we? Don't we see the creator on display in nature? Whereas the world would look at nature as the world would look at creation and they just see an uncaused massive chaos, we see the divine fingerprint of our creator God on everything, at every level. We see God in nature. We see God in history, don't we? Working through providence, executing his plan and purpose in history. That history is not just some random events, but that it is heading to a place, it is heading to a destination that the King of kings and Lord of glory is bringing it to. Amen. We see God working in history through his providence and his sovereign hand. We see God working in so many different ways. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3, we now with unveiled face behold his glory. Have you caught a glimpse of the glory of Christ? If you have, it's only evidence that your heart has been purified by God. Because it is only the pure in heart that see the glory of Christ. That's the, the present reality, but there is also a future reality, a future fulfillment coming. Paul says that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There is a future fulfillment that we have not seen yet. That we can't even imagine yet what God has prepared for us 
and for those who love him. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, he says, that now, whatever glimpses, whatever glories of Christ, we may see now that it's still looking as if looking through a dim mirror. That, that it's, it's, it's dimmed. That, that, that because we live in this body of flesh that still battles against sin and all the issues in our world, that, that even now our vision of Christ is somewhat obscured. That looking to Christ now is, he says, as if looking in a dim mirror. But that's now. But then he says, but then when Christ comes, we will see him face to face. He says, now I know in part that, that what we know about God, what we know about Christ as much as we do know and has been revealed to us by the Spirit and in his word, it is only partial. We know in part. But he says, then when I see him face to face, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That we will know Christ as well as he knows us. And that when he comes, we will behold his glory, not through a dim mirror, but we will behold him face to face. We will stare into the glorious face of the Son of God. And in that moment, the Bible says that we will be transformed into his likeness when we see him face to face. We now see dimly, like through a glass, darkly. But a day is coming where we will gaze upon the beauty of his face in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, having our hearts completely purified from every ounce of indwelling sin, and we will be forever in his presence, world without end. And Paul says we can't even comprehend what that will be like. Nevertheless, we are called today to live in the light of that reality. We are called to live today in the light of the reality that one day we will stand before him face to face. I heard someone say recently, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about that moment. And they said, when that day comes, the only thing we will think is, I wish I would have done more for Jesus. I wish I would have given more. I wish I would have served more. I wish I would have witnessed more. Oh, I wish I would have done more for Christ in his kingdom. When we finally see him for who he truly is. We see him now, but it's through a dim mirror. His glory is obscured. We need to pray and press in and worship and press into the word that the Lord would reveal himself to us more and more and more. He would purify our hearts more and more and more so that our vision of him would be clearer and clearer and clearer and that we would live in the light of his glory. So as we conclude here today, has your heart been purified? Has your heart been sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of Christ? Have you repented of sin and, and turned from your own righteousness? 
Have you believed upon in faith in the righteousness of Christ on your behalf? Has the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see Christ for who he truly is? Do you see God? Do you see him? And does your heart long for the day when we will gaze upon his face and see him in the fullness of his glory and splendor? Amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to take communion today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts. Lord, if there, where there are places, Lord, of impurity still remaining, Lord, but that by the means of your grace that you would continue to purify our hearts. The, the more we look to you, the more we see you for who you are, the more you would reveal yourself to us. That we would live in the light of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love, of your faithfulness, of your kindness, of your patience. And God, that we would want to tell everybody we know about the saving grace of our great God and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.